Good morning, brothers and sisters, family and friends. Um, Turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, and this morning we're going to continue to focus on the meta-narrative of Scripture, and that is we're looking at Scripture in story form. Now we all like stories, right? What's your favorite story? Is it a love story? Uh, Sort of like Beauty and the Beast? Or is it stories that focus on good and evil like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings? Whatever your genre is for stories, the Bible covers it all, right? Um, The Bible even gets a little graphic at times, you know. But this morning we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. And what we call the fall of man. Now, I want to kind of set the stage for us in terms of how I'm going to be um, telling the story. And I want you guys to think of story and what I mean by story in this manner. Now, when when I mention the term story, I don't mean in any way that that we're talking myth or fiction. All right. I don't mean that we're using story for entertainment like we do in our day, by and large. By story, I mean the account or record behind someone or something that gives it context, meaning, perspective, in light of a bigger picture. Does that make sense? So basically what we're talking about is history. History. Not fiction, not myth, not something for entertainment, but his story. That's what we have in Scripture And I want to give you an example just so I can nuance this to set the the context for what we're going to be doing this morning. So, for example, like holidays, all of our national holidays have a story behind them, right? Or a narrative behind it. You know, a Christmas tree is meaningless without the story of Christmas, right? It's pointless. So there's a story behind a Christmas tree, if you will. Or if you want to take a scriptural example, if you try to understand circumcision in scripture disconnected from the rest of the story or the bigger picture of what God is doing and how he covenanted with Abraham, then when you get to story in the New Testament, you're going to become confused because circumcision was to be understood in a context, in a bigger picture, if you will. Make sense? Okay. So the point is there's little narratives that make up a big picture, sort of like a puzzle. It's on a table, and it's all scattered, and you see the box and the cover, and you know that's the objective to get the big picture. Well, that's how God has written the Bible, believe it or not. All right? The Bible was written to us in story form, by and large. Okay? So, we're, we're, we're going to talk about... Um, Uh, chapter 2, or chapter 3 in Genesis, and what theologians call the fall of mankind, or the fall of man. Um, Let's read Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, and we will read the whole chapter. Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Hast God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree with, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you, sh you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. So let me stop here, kind of just give you a running commentary. So the serpent tricked Eve and got her to focus on the forbidden fruit. I want you guys to pay attention to that. And how did he do it? By twisting God's character. Right? By twisting the character of God. And Eve reasoned and saw the tree, and it made a lot of sense to her. She reasoned, why would God make a tree that's good for what? Food? Desire to make one what? Wise, right? And it looks good. Now, why in the world would God do that if he didn't want us to what? Eat it. So you see her reasoning, her logic, in light of what the devil said? See how he twisted God's character? You will not die. God knows in the day that you eat that, you're going to be just like him. He's hiding something from you. He doesn't want you to experience something. And she reasoned and looked at the tree and, hey, that makes sense. Logic, right? Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Sort of like the ones we have on today right now. Right? See, we laugh, but this is evidence of something, brothers and sisters. Okay? God's word is 16 ounces to the pound, 100% truth. You understand? Everything testifies to the truth of God's word, even the clothes that are on our backs right now. All right? Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, Lord God, among the trees of the garden. So they hid themselves because they did something wrong. And they covered themselves because they did something wrong. So there is guilt and shame introduced into humanity. Now let's check out God's claims once again. How many of us have experienced guilt and shame? Wow. So we got clothes on, and we experience guilt and shame. God's word is truth. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So Adam hid himself because he was afraid. How many of us have experienced fear in the room? 
You guys, we are the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, aren't we? Running, hiding, blaming, covering. Running, hiding, blaming, covering. Right? You know why Adam and Eve were running, hiding, blaming, and covering? You guys know why? Because they had a death sentence hanging over their head. And the day you eat thereof, you shall surely what? So when, I, when Eve bit that fruit, the last thing she remembered was, <gasps> God told us, Adam, that the day we eat this, if, if we've been duped and fooled, the last thing we know about God is he told us that we were going to what? <gasps> so we better get, get a right to it. We better get a covering. We, we better do something, right? Because when he shows up, we better have an answer for him. Now you see why we run, blame, hide, and cover. Because we are the children of the first who ran and tried to cover their sin before a holy, righteous God. They lost their righteous standing. Right? They experienced for the first time guilt and shame and fear in light of their relationship with a holy and good, good father. You understand? This is the story, our story, the human story of how you and I have fallen from righteousness, how you and I experience evil in our existence today. And it's all true. And our experience testifies of it. You guys tracking with me? And you don't even have to be there in the garden to know all this. Just look. Just feel. Just exist. Right? And match it with the Word of God. And you'll know in your conscience it's true. Right? Verse 12. Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me. I'm sorry, verse 11. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So the man just threw Eve under the bus, right? <laughs> Thank you very much. And he also threw God under what? The woman you gave me. See, I'm good. Right? Verse 13, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So at least the woman didn't have an excuse. She flat out told God the truth, what happened, right? The serpent tricked me, fooled me. There's no excuse there. She just told God what happened. And then God goes on to show his justice. Because you have done this, speaking to the serpent, you are cursed more than cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. Stop. Let's test this claim. Do you guys know of any animal that goes on its belly out there in the world? How did it get there? And why is the snake so different from the rest of the other animals? Hmm, things that make you go, hmm, right? 
you're wondering, what in the, can this be true? It, it seems such like a myth and fairy tale. And it seems so, so like, like it's so yeah. fantasy, but it's true. If you test it, they're snakes. <laughs> and they go on their belly and they slither and they're sneaky. Do you understand? We, we can't deny the truth of God's word. See, Satan has to try to change the narrative. He, he, see, he wants us to believe about the word of God that is myth. You understand? That Adam was a figure and there's no snake. And especially there was no talking snake. Right. When we when we look and we're, we're like, you know what? As I'm as I'm beginning to trust the word of God and put confidence in the word of God, it's true. It has the best answer for our existence and why we are the way we are. Right. Evolution doesn't. You know, the, the, the atheists might say to us, you know, you can't believe all this stuff. You weren't there. Who was there when we heard the bang? <laughs> were any of you there? I wasn't there. And I'm sure none of the atheists were there either, right? Anybody can make a claim. But we got to test the claim with our experience, or we got to test the claims up against history. See, God came to us in history. So he can be tested and tried. He says, taste and see that I'm good. Test me and try me. Know that I'm God. I declare the end from the beginning. I'm not done anything in secret. Test me. Test his word. But test the atheist claim about the Big Bang. You know, in my neighborhood, things that go bang <laughs> are nine millimeters or illegal fireworks. Right? And I don't get order, I see chaos. Right? But if we test the claims of the Word of God, we find that they're true 100%. They're credible because God is speaking to us. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. He says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And that's a prophecy there of the gospel. It's a beautiful thing there. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your, your husband, and he shall rule over you. Stop. Ladies, when's the last time you had a baby and there was no pain involved? <laughs> Let me see you pull that one off. Without an epidural. Right? It's true. If you test its claims, it's true. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Verse 17, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. By the way, I could have said something about your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. But we'll, we'll, we can get back to that. Verse 17, then to Adam he said, because you have uh, heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. 
In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Stop. Let's test this claim. Last time I checked, when we die, where do we go? We're buried to the ground, right? Last time I checked, when you go to the fields and the farmers, what's there along with the fruit and the vegetation? Thorns and thistles and weeds and so on and so forth, right? And those farmers got to work hard to bring forth the fruit of the ground. Tracking with me? Why? Because the word of God is true. See, I believe, brothers and sisters, you can actually prove that God exists. Just look at all the evidence around us. And the reason why we can prove it is because he's revealed stuff to us that helps us to see it, not with our eyes and not with what we feel, but by faith. And that's the key, faith in his son, Jesus Christ, in him, in him, in him. You got to get in Christ, right? But that's another story. That's another part of the narrative. So he goes on in verse 20, and Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam, he and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. I want you guys to pay attention to that because that's what we're going to focus on for this talk this morning. I got to hurry up. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now Genesis chapter 3 is highly concentrated brothers and sisters. I'm just going to focus this morning on what theologians call the problem of evil and why we have evil in our world today. Um, let me give you the outline and then we'll pray. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to connect uh, the last narrative of creation, the creation account. That's Genesis chapter 1 and 2. All right. God made everything and he made it good. We're going to connect our narrative this morning with that. And then secondly, I want to show, uh, we want to look at the temptation of man. And we're going to kind of highlight the character. Uh, God introduces this character called the devil into the story of man. Who is the devil? Um, then the third thing, hopefully, is we'll look at the betrayal and fall of man. And then finally, the destiny of man. I don't know if we're going to get to all that, but we'll try this morning. Okay. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time, and then we'll get into the sermon. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you set the record straight by revealing truth through your word. Thank you that you have left yourself a witness in the creation. And not only creation, Lord, but through your written word, and even more importantly, Lord, through making believers through the Holy Spirit and causing us to testify to these things that they are indeed true. And Lord, we pray that you would lift our heights or lift us to heights above this world. 
this morning. We pray that you would help us to see what is ours in Christ. We pray that you would help us to understand the story as it comes to us in Scripture, our story, the story of humanity, our beginnings. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see why Christ is so important, why we need him, and why he is God and our King and our Redeemer. And I pray for those who know not Christ as God, King, and Redeemer, that you would open eyes to see, spiritual eyes to see, and spiritual ears to hear through the preaching of your word this morning. God, you are true, you are living, you are with us. And so we pray that you would empower, empower me, empower the hearers, that your will might be done in your great name will be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, last time I was with you, we talked about God um, creating all things for man. You guys remember that? I don't want to go back to Genesis chapter 2 because I'm on borrowed time right now. But um, if you recall, Genesis 1 and 2, God claims that he established himself as being very good to Adam and Eve through creation. He made all things for them. Birds, sea, uh, uh, um, the, 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 the vegetation, you name it. It was for mankind. It was like Christmas for us, right? You guys understand? No evil. No disruption in fellowship with God. It was all good in the garden. All good. And as a result of God's goodness to mankind, we saw three things. We saw one, according to this account, or this record, or God's story, we see one that God... His word tells us that everything that he created stands as a testimony that he exists. Romans chapter 1. And let me just read that because I think it's so important. You don't have to turn there. Just let me read it. Romans chapter 1 says this. And I, Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 20. And this is after Adam and Eve fell. But, but just bear with me here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So why in the world would God's wrath have to be revealed in human existence now? Well, he's telling you here, because men suppress the truth. Well, the truth about what? Okay, what we're reading about in Genesis. When God made everything, he made it very what? Good. That means God is not responsible for all the evil we see taking place right now on the planet. You understand? God is not taking personal responsibility for that. He's saying, I did not make this creation that way. I did not make humans that way. So the question that we have to ask this morning, well, why in the world is there so much evil? If God, if you're good, like you Christians say he is, then why in the world is there evil and lots of it on the planet? Right? Who's going to take responsibility for that? Well, Romans chapter 1 says, God's wrath is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Verse 19, because what may be known of God 
is manifest in them. For God has what? Shown it to them. Well, how has God done that? Just so that you see it's not coming from Ernie King, but the Word of God. And I'm not twisting the scriptures or making up my own theology here or so on and so forth. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, that's Genesis chapter 1 and 2, since the creation of the world, listen, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen by the Word of God. No, by the things that are what? Made. Tree. Human beings. Animals. Sea. Mountain. Snow. All testify and bear witness that there's who? God. Okay? So you don't even need this book to know that there's who? God. And then God goes on to say this, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Right? So that we, the human race, are without excuse. We have no excuses, you guys, for not following and obeying God. None whatsoever. Okay? So the first thing we learned last week is the creation testifies that God exists. Secondly, we saw that God establishes authority over Adam and Eve or over humanity by giving them one commandment in the garden, and that was, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely what? Die. What is, that, what is the equal of that in our day, brothers and sisters? Come on. The wages of sin is what? Romans chapter 6, 23. Uh, right? So, watch these laws. You guys remember how I showed you the law of gravity? I'm going to prove it to you right now. What goes up must come what? See the proof of it? Every time I do it, it's going to what? There's proof that there's gravity. Boom. Well, there's proof from the Word of God that when God told Adam and Eve, the day you eat thereof you shall surely die, there's evidence all around us that that's still in effect today because one out of one, men, women, boys, and girls, what? Die. There's the evidence again. So God's word is what? True. True. You guys get it? The wages of sin is death is still in effect today. That's why people die. Okay? And God established his authority over humanity by giving them that one commandment. See, we did not make ourselves. God made us. He made us. And that commandment represented that. We are subject to Him. We are not autonomous. We don't get to do as we please. We don't have absolute authority. Only God does. Now, mankind can live that way. But we all know that one day we have to answer to God, right? And then the third and final thing that we saw from the creation account is that God's good, good character was on display. So in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, brothers and sisters, you don't hear anything about God's wrath. All you see is pure, sheer, what? Goodness. Okay? So that's the last scene in the story. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Now let's, let's move on to Genesis chapter 3. And the question that we want to face this morning is, if it was all good in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and God set the context that He made man and was good to them, and it was just utter bliss or paradise, what in the world happened? Right? How did paradise get lost? That's chapter 2. So the narrative, the meta-narrative is creation, then what? The fall. Creation, then the fall. So let's talk a little bit about 
how we, as mankind, have fallen into sin. And that brings us this morning to the problem of evil. I want to open with a quote here from um, Shakespeare's Macbeth. Life is but a shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his, his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told of an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Now I open with that, brothers and sisters, because that is, very, that is a very, very depressing outlook on life, right? I thought I was depressed, but that makes me feel good. Right? See, it doesn't take us long, or anyone living on the planet long, to know that something drastically went wrong with our existence. And you can't deny that, right, brothers and sisters? We can't, we can't block that out. If you just look around, and if we look at life, we, we, we recognize something went wrong. The question is, how do you explain it? What is your story? You guys tracking with me? What's your story? The atheist has his story, right? And other philosophers have their story. What's the Christian narrative? What is our story? And are you able to explain it? Because, see, actually, the death, burial, resurrection in Jesus Christ fits inside of that. You guys tracking with me? See, we, we actually start our story in Genesis because that's where God starts his story. He says the, the seed of the woman shall what? Bruise. Right? Or the seed of the serpent shall bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. Okay? So, so there's this meta-narrative, you guys, that we need to know. There, there, we, we have to put it together because that encourages our faith. So the Bible teaches that you know, I, I was recently looking at the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and, and check this out. Um, it was estimated that 70,000 people were killed in less than a minute. 70,000 people in less than a minute. 135,000 people died in total. How do you explain that? that? That the fact that that kind of stuff goes on on the planet. Do, do we ignore it? One of the arguments that unbelievers, especially atheists, have against theism is if God exists and he is good, then why is there evil in this world? And they have a problem reconciling a good God with the current state of affairs around the world. The question, why does evil exist, is an excellent question, brothers and sisters, and we should not run from it. It's also a question that God squarely faces in the scriptures. So I'm just going to get to the point, turn to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. And I'm going to give you the clearest statement, or one of the clearest statements in scripture as to why evil exists in our human experience. Romans 5.12. In verse 12 it reads, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all 
sinned. There it is. Right there in a nutshell. Okay? See, there is so much evil in the world. There's death and destruction because of Adam. Now, Genesis chapter 3 gives us a detailed record. It's the history of it. It's what happened. You guys tracking with me? But mark it down. The reason why there's so much disease, death, destruction, and evil in our world is because our first parents blew it. Okay? And we got to be honest about that. They did. That's what the Bible teaches us. That sin that Eve, Adam and Eve committed opened the door for these things. So if you turn back to Genesis chapter 3, and we'll begin to uh, kind of take this apart. Look at the, uh, the process by which man fell. So the first thing we want to look at is um, the temptation, the temptation. And so Genesis chapter 3, God introduces a character into the story, and that is the devil. The question we need to ask, or the first claim we need to test, is who is the devil, and is there evidence that the devil exists in our world? Let me ask you guys that. Is there evidence that the, the devil exists in our world, you guys? You Christians, is there evidence that the devil exists? How do we know that? Come on, you can speak up. How do we know that? Yeah, but abortion is not the devil. That's, that's somebody else. Those are, that's people. How do we know the devil's responsible for these things? Okay, he's the great tempter, but who gives us that information? Ah, ah. So we would have no idea who the devil is, what he looks like, how he operates, unless God, what? Revealed it. You understand that? We, it would be happening... He would be behind all this evil and all this stuff, and we would just experience it, but we would be clueless as to who's behind it, how he's described, and how he goes about doing what he does, unless God revealed this account. You guys tracking with me? So we get to put our confidence in this account, and once we put our confidence in this account, then we can filter everything, and we say, ah, there's the devil. Thank you, Lord. Faith. By faith, by faith, I pick up on who the devil is. Not sight, not smell, not touch, but by faith in God's word. See how it works? And then I get to see he, he transforms himself as a minister of righteousness, and I get to see all the false gospel that he spends, and I trace it back to the devil by faith. Right? And I get to see all the other ways that he works and Jesus, because my connection to Jesus helps me to track him and trace him. So I'm not ignorant of his wiles or his devices as I live, because the just shall live by faith. Right? So let's look at how Jesus describes the devil. And there's plenty of um, passages that we can go to in Scripture to reveal or put flesh on this being called the devil. But I want to turn you quickly to uh, John 8, 44. And this is one of the clearest statements that Jesus gives us to expose this character called the devil, who God claims or asserts was in the garden and tempted our first parents into what we know today is sin. So in John 8, 44, 
This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees allowed themselves to be um, taken captive by the devil to do his dirty work. John 8, 44 reads, You are of your father... I'm just jumping right in here, brothers and sisters, because I'm on borrowed time. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from what? Wow, from the beginning. So we can see what he's up to now in the garden. That tricky serpent. He's a, he, he was out to murder our first parents, right? He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. See, see what kind of information Jesus is giving us about this being called the devil? He's a murderer and he hates the what? Truth. So lies is his way. That's, that's the way he operates. He uses lies, okay? And then thirdly, he says, when he speaks a lie, he speaks um, from his own resource, for he is a liar and the what? Father of it. Okay? So if we take that information and go back to Genesis, we can put die on the devil, right? And get our black flashlights or our black lights out and watch him show up like what? There he is. That's the devil. Because he's a murderer, he's a liar, and he hates truth. Right? And you can trace his ways today. You don't even have to see him. Because the evidence that he exists is all around us. Because the word of God is true. See, we can prove the existence of God. We can prove the existence of the devil. But the key is you've got to believe in God's word. It's all in Christ. Right? So the Bible defines the devil as the great tempter. And God asserts that the devil was in the Garden of Eden and he was there to tempt our first parents. Now, what I want to do, is that, is that fair? Is that a fair assessment of the devil? Can we move on? Okay, so what I want to do is I want to show you the way that the devil tempted Eve to fall. And I want to kind of apply that to our lives today. Okay, so if you turn back to Genesis chapter 3 with me, please. And there's much more that we can say about the devil um, and his tricks. But I'm, 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 I'm trying to explain Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 more in an apologetic framework so that we can defend our faith. You understand? So that we can have answers. We, you know, Christians aren't stupid. We're not dumb like people try to make us out to be. And the way I'm explaining the Word of God, I'm hoping carries your conscience so that people can know, hey man, this, this is making a lot of sense. This is real. Okay? Christians aren't stupid. We're actually smart. Holy Spirit smart. Okay? Because God has put His divine nature within us, and we believe the Word of God, which is absolute 100% truth, and it makes us wise. And we wise up to things like a real devil. And we'll rise up to things like the fact that evolution is not true. Okay? The Big Bang Theory, if you will. All right? We wise up to things like God's Word and what it has to say. And we're okay to take the reproach and the ridicule from the rest of the world for that. So what was the devil up to in verses uh, 1 through 6? Let's read it. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, 
You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of every tree of the, gar of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, he said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now watch this, verse 4. And, and, and Satan doesn't use a lot of language. He just gets to the point. He says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what the devil did here is Satan goes after the character of God and seeks to influence the heart of Eve that God isn't as good as he made himself out to be in the creation. You remember how I told you God created everything for man? And now what Satan's doing is trying to discredit that. See the story? And he's doing that by saying, yeah, hey, God, God, God is not as good as he claims to be. God is what? Hiding something from you. See, Satan wants us to be content, discontent with the goodness of God. Satan wants you to be discontent with your spouse right now and God's goodness to you. Satan wants you to be discontented with your children right now. Satan wants to be you to be discontented with God's goodness to you in your lot right now. You follow me? He's, he, he, and, and he likes to do this by spinning lies. So he tells Eve, he says to her in, in verse uh, 4, he sa or verse, where am I at? Verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you shall be like God, knowing good and evil. And what Satan is really doing here is he's, he's getting Eve to become discontented with all this goodness in the garden and beginning to become fascinated with what's behind door number what? <laughs> fascinated with evil. The knowledge of what? Evil. So, man, this is good. My wife and, and my children and my family life. And, and, and I'm enjoying God and, and the creation and all he's done for me. But what's that? You know, it's like squirrel. <laughs> you know, the goodness is here and we're satisfied. And then all of a sudden, ah. right? That's what's going on here. And so Eve's reasoning in her mind, well, you know, and, and, and keep in mind, Adam and Eve don't even know what the experience of evil's like. They, they've never experienced a, a murder. They never experienced heartache as a result of betrayal or shame. You understand? We're, we're kind of used to that. Shame on us. In our existence. You guys know what I'm talking about? We make drama out of it. Just look at TV. Don't do that. <laughs> so Adam and Eve don't know what evil is. So Eve is becoming fascinated with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she starts reasoning according to the, what the devil told her. And we know the end of the story, right? She takes of the tree and she eats. Now watch what happens. Look at verse 7 or verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So something did happen. Now what is that? 
everything that God said began to come to pass, right? What is the name of the tree? The knowledge of what? And what? See how evil got introduced into our existence? For the first time, Adam and Eve began to experience what the Bible calls evil. The, the term evil in the Hebrew and the Greek simply means to do harm to, to do harm to. See, prior to this, they were under the protection of God. You guys tracking with me? To do His will, to follow God, to trust God, you get pure, sheer goodness. But now that they disobeyed God and left His commandment, now they exposed themselves to evil, right? And they began to experience this immediately. They experienced shame for the first time. And we've already talked about that, and they covered themselves as a result of that. So when Adam and Eve partook, and it says their eyes are open, that just simply means that they became consciously aware because they did what God told them not to. And as soon as they became consciously aware of their naked, it's like, <gasps> we're naked! Right? But really, that's to signify the fact that there's guilt. And as a result of that guilt, there's shame. Okay? And then verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve and his wife hid themselves. Meaning, there's no longer communion with God. There's no longer fellowship with God. There's more or less, we want to bounce when God comes now. We don't enjoy His presence anymore because of this guilt and shame. Right? And then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. And there was fear, the fear of God. Not like the fear of God out of respect, but fear of God, terror and dread. And we know why. Because they were facing what? A death sentence. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve, because of their choice, had this death sentence hanging over them. The law of sin and death. And it's still in effect, by the way. The law of sin and death is still in effect today. And evidence is all around us. People sin. There's the first evidence. And people what? There's the second. Okay? And so that's the bad news. Right? Speaking of the story, that's the bad news. And let me just say this, you guys. When we're explaining the scriptures and we're trying to follow the, the logic of what's going on in scripture or, or how God paints the story, if there's gaps or things that don't make sense, be careful. Be careful. And what I mean by that is Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, all have to flow. Right? So just one quick highlight. So when we get to Genesis chapter 5, and it says, and you don't have to turn there. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day of the, uh, that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And then it gives the, the, the lineage of Adam, and it leaves out Cain. It leaves out Cain there. See, we need to be asking ourselves, why is that the case? Why does God leave Cain out of that lineage? All right? And if you're tracking with God's story or the way He's telling the story, then you'll see clearly that the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, the seed of the woman referring to uh, uh, Jesus ultimately, but the seed of the serpent referring to everyone born outside of Christ. 
including Cain. You guys understand? Who is the seed of the serpent? Couldn't be the devil. He is the serpent, right? Who is the seed of the serpent? Who, what is that? It's all those who are born outside of Christ. You're tracking with me. And that has to fit into your story. You have to grapple with that. You have to understand these things so you can begin to ask questions. Hey, hey, what, what, what does the Bible have to say about these things? What does the Bible have to say about salvation? What does the Bible have to say about predestination? How does it all work? Don't start with the system of men. Start with the word of God. Right? And what it actually says. Go to the text itself and read through it and see if the story that you've been taught measures up with what? God's record, God's account. Does that make sense? Very, very important, brothers and sisters. So you have the devil in the garden. He um, tricks Adam and Eve to sin. Adam and Eve betray the goodness of God. And I want to turn you to, and we'll close this out here. I want to turn you to uh, 2 Samuel. Chapter 12. I want to highlight the remedy for evil. And my, I know this has been discombobulated this morning, brothers and sisters. I went to a Giants game yesterday and I shouldn't have. <laughs> That's the truth. I spent nine hours, okay, in Frisco when I should have been doing this. Maybe 10. And I was like, a brother who loves me and I love him, and we've, you know, my heart was for him, and I was just like, Lord, I, I want to do this. I want to get to hang out with them. And, and it wasn't even the Giants or the game or whatever. And I missed Dante and I mean, um, um, uh, Patrick and Betsabelle's uh, baby shower yesterday, and that was another thing. I was torn, life of a pastor. And so I was like, oh, and then I had my sermon to do. And it was all bad. It was all bad yesterday. And thank God that he's all good. Amen. So um, anyway, what I'm trying to do here, brothers and sisters, I'm trying to help you to understand the dynamic here of why, what Adam and Eve did. What was so, you know, R.C. Sproul, he's gone now. Uh, but he, he, he defined what Adam and Eve did in the garden as cosmic treason. Okay, and I like that. I like that. I like the way he um, characterized that. And I want to highlight this cosmic treason that we see in humanity by turning you to God's account with David. Did I, and that was 2 Samuel? Okay, 2 Samuel 12. Beginning at verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man, thus the Lord God of Israel says this. Now watch this, and I want you guys to apply this to Adam and Eve. And I know this is, I'm breaking hermeneutical, sound hermeneutical principles here, but bear with me. Okay? You can use the scriptures this way, so bear with me, Phil. <laughs> Phil's going to seminary. He, he gets it right. So don't be so hard on me, all right? I'm making a point here. And you too, just, Pastor Justin. So in verse 9, why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? 
Okay? So God is not a legalist. God is a loving God who gives law. Just like he gave that one law to Adam and Eve in the garden, and they despised his goodness through breaking that one commandment. Well, David did the same thing here. Watch. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I blew it. I wanted to back up to verse 8. Verse 8, because th this is the goodness of God. Verse 7, I'm sorry. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. So, so God starts his indictment of David where? Verse 7, I anointed you king over Israel, goodness number one. I delivered you from the hand of Saul, goodness number two. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, goodness number three and four. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, goodness number five, six, seven, eight, nine. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more, goodness, affinity. God saying to Adam and Eve in the garden, look, this is for you, and I gave it all to you. Don't eat that or touch it lest you die. The love of God, the care of God, the Father for his creation. You guys get it? See, law and love are not incompatible. Right? Watch. Let's keep reading in 2 Samuel. Because God gives consequences, just like he did in the Garden of Eden. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Remember how God told Adam and Eve that, you know, in childbearing you will have a lot of pain. Adam, the thorns um, and thistles will come as a result of what you did. And Satan, you're, I mean, the serpent, you're going to be on your belly. Consequences, because God's just. Verse 11, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did this thing secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. And then verse 13, so David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David's no longer suppressing the truth and provoking God to wrath by trying to work deals with Uriah, by getting him drunk and saying, go home to your wife. He's no longer suppressing the truth in unrighteousness and provoking God to wrath, like Romans chapter 1 says that we're all doing. Make sense? Running, blaming, hiding, covering. Running, blaming, hiding, covering. See, David knows he has a death sentence hanging over his head if he's caught by Israel. Don't think that David was running, blaming, hiding, and covering because he just didn't want to be exposed. The law said if a man and a woman were caught, what? In adultery, both were to be taken out by Israel and what? Stoned to what? Not just stoned. Let's finish it. You make sure that they're what? Get it? The law of sin and death was hanging over David's head, if you will, because of his sin. And he knew it. See, according to law, we should all be what? Because God says, one sin is worthy of your what? One sin is worthy of your death. All right? And it's still in effect. So what's the answer? It's called the gospel, the seed of the woman in Genesis. Now watch it, watch it here. 
So David said to Nathan, verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. Stop. The Lord has put away my sin, but he just said that my son's going to rise up and, and lay with my wives and, and I'm going to be a, 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 at war with all my enemies. What do you mean the Lord has put away my sin? He says, the Lord has put away your sin. You will not surely what? Die. Die. You see, because of Christ and what he's done on the cross, we don't have to suffer what? Death. Okay. You and I, because of faith in Jesus Christ and that alone, can begin to experience what the Bible calls life. And this is another story. We're, we're going to have to pick this up the next time in our story. But I, but I want to highlight something here. The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. The Nathan departed to his house. All right? So here's what I want to close with, brothers and sisters. I'm going to close, and I got to, I, hmm. yeah, I do. So here's the thing. Turn back to Genesis chapter 3. And I want to begin to bring the scriptures together and kind of close out the story for you this morning. So you remember in Ephesians, one, I believe it is, and there's another passage where the Bible says that Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain when? Before the foundation of the earth. Jesus was slain when? From before the foundations of the earth, right? Okay, why is that? Because God is predetermined, right? The way of what? Life and blessing, and the way of what? Death and the curse. Nobody's going to operate outside that predestination, that predetermination. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they had set before them the way of what? Life and blessing and the way of death and the curse. You guys get it? In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. There's the way of death and the curse. And the way of life and blessing is if you don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will live. Nobody is operating outside of that predetermination of God. Nobody on the planet right now. Does that make sense? Okay. Because Adam fell, God can receive them back because Jesus, from God's perspective, was already slain from before when? The foundations of the word. All God has to do is to make sure through human history that that happens. Follow me? But he's already predetermined it here. And if God can make sure that that happens, then it's all good. But if Satan can stop it from happening, then it's all what? Bad. You see the story? You see why Satan was working so hard to make the crucifixion, I mean, to, to, to stop Jesus from even becoming a man. And when he became a man, he tried to kill him there. And, and, and even at the cross, and even before the cross. But in Matthew 4, where it says that Satan came to tempt Jesus, all he had to do is get Jesus to sin what? Once. And guess what, you guys? We would all be ruined. No hope of the gospel. You understand that? You see the story? All the way from Genesis to Jesus, in a nutshell, right? And now because we're fallen in Adam, now because you and I have already partaken 
of sin and death, and we all have a death sentence hanging over our heads, the only way to be made right or put right with God again is through who? Jesus Christ. Don't trust in your own merit. Why? Because if you're going to go the route of merit, God requires you to be what? The law says one sin is worthy of what? Death. You see why you need Jesus? You understand? You see why you can't get back into God's good graces? God says, man, if I let you back into my good graces by sinning, then I'm going to be unjust. I have a standard around here in my garden. It's perfection. Right? And don't suppress that about me. I made you good. I made you upright. And don't blame me for all this evil nonsense on the world right now. I'm a good, good father. You chose it. You chose it. In light of our choice, God being the good God he is, still gives us what? An opportunity to repent. But it's only through Jesus Christ, not your merit. Only through Jesus Christ, not your merit. Let me say it again. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that if you call upon his name this morning and you turn your back on your merit, if you turn your back on all the philosophies that are out there that are trying to recreate the story and, and, and change the narrative of why you're here and, and why you're on the planet, forsake all that. Repent of all that. And believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the one that's been ordained by God from before the foundation of the world, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting what? Do you believe that, brothers and sisters? Because if you do, and you follow Jesus... He will give you his Holy Spirit and he will secure you all the way till the end by his grace. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, let's get our story straight. All right. God is not responsible for evil. God did not create evil in the way we understand it. And when people say to you, if there was a good God, if, if God is there and he's so good, then why is there so much evil? You have an answer, don't you? And what's the answer? We're the problem. There's your answer. All right? Let's pray. God, we thank you. Um, you are amazing, Lord. Simply amazing. And we just pray that you would encourage our faith in you. Help us to live for your glory. Help us to be willing to die for it, oh God. Because of the things we know to be true. And thank you for giving us life in Christ. We worship you in his name. Amen.